0: Welcome to Boost You, an exam prep podcast for aspiring behavior analysts. My name is Maddie Duke, and I'm a member of the Boost exam prep team at ABA Technologies. With me today is one of my coworkers, Corey Robertson. So welcome, Corey. Thanks for joining me today. I'm really excited for this conversation. I think I hope our students are excited to hear uh, what we have to say and that we can offer something of benefit to our students. So I guess just kind of like, let's just kind of jump into it. Uh, the point of this this episode, we kind of want to talk about what comes after graduation. I, I feel like we often talk about graduation as this really big milestone, and then the certification exam is that next milestone, but oftentimes there's a time period in between, and maybe we don't talk about what happens between those two milestones so let's kind of start by going through just what changes you're no longer a student now your focus is on studying for that exam what does that look like why is it different
1: well i think there's an an enormous sense of relief and and maybe a reclaiming of time Uh, in my case i know a lot of people will relate to this Um, i was working uh full-time uh going to graduate school uh when i went it was an orlando program uh with florida tech so it was uh, mostly friday mornings and saturdays or friday afternoons and saturday mornings and so suddenly going from being worried about uh, school and work and my family to just work and family was was nice and i felt like there was a big chunk of time that i had back that i had to figure out you know what to do with and and where to you know address those efforts um but there, and definitely a sense of accomplishment if you're going through a degree program. Uh, but even if you're in, in, a, in a continuing education format, you know if you're just doing a certificate program and you've already had your degree, there's still a sense of that accomplishment of finishing something that you um, set out to do. And, and then, of course, there's that final maybe hurdle of of passing uh, the BACB certification exam. And, and students focus a lot on that exam like it is the only gateway um, or the only part of becoming certified. And it, it really isn't. It's just that last hurdle because yeah. the majority of the work that I think that we're doing is in our coursework and in our mm-hmm. supervised fieldwork especially. And if you've had a, a good experience in both of those areas, that exam hopefully won't be too large of a hurdle, right? It's just that right. last that last step. But a big difference, I think, between you know the the process of being a student and then that post graduation sort of study period um, is that you're not you shouldn't be anyway building acquisition. You know, when we look at learning, there are different stages of learning, and that acquisition phase is where we're acquiring those skills for the first time, and that can that's certainly challenging. But at this point, you know, students want to be uh, maintaining, generalizing. And also building fluency. So maybe I've learned some things, but because I don't use that language regularly, or I don't do that particular practice often, or I'm not, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, it's it's that repetition. And so I think there's a lot of sort of mass practice that that folks want to engage in um, to to get ready for that for that assessment, right, of of mastery, yeah. which is really what that is.
0: I really appreciate you bringing up supervised fieldwork. Just so our listener knows, I graduated just a couple of months ago. I haven't actually tested yet myself. Um, And when collecting my fieldwork hours, I worked in a clinic for one semester. And then I worked at ABA Technologies for the remaining year and a half-ish that I was finishing up those hours. So I used a lot of behavioral principles through writing about them, teaching about them, identifying them in everyday life. But when I look at the task list and specific tasks, so for an ex- for example, running an MSWO, that feels very separate from my fieldwork experience because I wasn't doing those things directly with clients. I've never actually run an MSWO with an actual client. So it feels very different for me. Um, but that may be different for our listeners. It's kind of like you think of your like restricted hours as kind of your like classwork hours. And then your unrestricted hours are kind of like your studying time where it's the same or similar skills, just a little bit elevated. There's a little bit more responsibility that you have to take. Um, there's a little bit more decision-making that you have to do but that doesn't mean that you're going to fail or that you don't have the ability to do so. It's just a little bit different, but it's still an important thing.
1: I think it's, for me, it's always been about taking the book knowledge and the academic information and learning how to put it into action. Yeah. And I think, you know, if we take a step back and we look at the purpose of all of this, it, it helps kind of put it into perspective. And the purpose is to demonstrate competency when when people screw this up and i hope my language isn't too offensive to to, to some people <laughs> uh, i'll use that word but when honestly when people screw this up people die You know, uh, and I I say that in our classes, especially when we talk about ethics, but I come back to that time and time again, and I think that's one of the things that Jose Martinez Diaz really instilled in those of us who are his direct students, and I hope that they even students of the program now who are learning from us are are getting that as well, which is the importance of why we're doing this and what's at risk, and what's at risk is people's safety at the Mm -hmm. very most, at the extreme, right, because we definitely have documented cases of People losing their lives to incompetent practitioners um, at the very least you have a lack of progress right you're just not a good mm-hmm. behavior analyst and and you do kind of fail because you fail your clients right because they're not right. making the gains that they need to so all of this starts with that notion of well we need to make sure people know their stuff how do we go about doing that? how do we assess that and of course the best way the, the surest way would be to observe the performance yeah but doing that on a massive scale for everyone who wants to become a behavior analyst, is kind of challenging. So right. what we have finally res- uh, you know, landed on is a multiple choice exam, right, which tests academic knowledge. When you look right. at the BACB task list and the way that those objectives and those tasks are written, they all kind of facilitate assessment through those questions right you're going yeah. to use you're going to describe you're going to define and and, and there's sometimes they're a little bit uh they're hard to to assess yeah. some of those definitely look like they would be assessed better in um a uh, in in field work you know so for mm-hmm. example how do i know that you can run a preference assessment well the first step would be i ask you hey maddie tell me how to run a preference assessment and if you can't describe how to run a preference assessment i feel pretty confident that you're not going to be able to do it but mm-hmm. just because you can describe it doesn't necessarily mean that either, right? right. Um, but when you get into regulation of a profession, you have to show validity in the exam, you have to you know make sure there's no bias. And so that's where that multiple choice format comes in because um, you gotta have one answer. It can't be objective. In, in early days, it was actually short answer. And they would have two yeah. people read your response to a scenario and determine whether you gave a satisfactory response. And if the two people didn't agree, it was a third person. I've talked to people who were reviewers in the old days. Yeah, they're still around. That's um, fascinating. And, and, so, and that's how it was done. It was like, hey, here's a situation. How would you handle this? And mm-hmm. the person had to describe it. But you can't do that for 10,000 people a year, right? That's not going to work. And so that's that's how we've gotten to this point. So tying that back together with, hey, yes, we're learning the academics and we want to make sure we understand our terms and we can you know, answer multiple choice questions and things like that. But someone, and that's our or B C B A supervisor, is really responsible for looking at our performance and how we uh, you know show up every day at work and say, hey, this person understands the concepts and principles of behavior analysis. They apply those strategies in an evidence-based manner and ethically, right? And those right. kinds of things. And so the supervised fieldwork component is the biggest part of this restricted and unrestricted uh, you know i i you mentioned that and i i never can help myself from jumping on top of that because the perception of those requirements is still so off for so many people yeah. and the whole thing about restriction is it's the implementation of behavior plans and then mm-hmm. that's because we didn't want people functioning as an rbt for 1,500 to 2,000 hours, and then suddenly someone says, oh, they can be a BCBA now because they've been doing this thing. Because what behavior analysts have to do is so much beyond just the running of programs, right? We're Mm -hmm. developing those programs. We're assessing to try to develop those programs. We're training people on the implementation of those programs. We're communicating with stakeholders about those and And all those other things are critical components of our practice, and those are considered unrestricted hours, so they're not – they're the most important part, in my opinion, is the unrestricted hours and learning how to function as a professional and communicate and, uh, and a lot of those lessons that we learn along the way. And when you talk to people who've been out in the field for a while, everybody's got their mistakes stories that they can tell you. I've definitely got plenty of my own. And that's the purpose of that supervised field work is you you, you make those mistakes, but the consequences aren't as severe because somebody's kind of watching out for you along the way, right? They're, they're watching your back. Um, so, you know, the the experience part of it and it's such a blessing to be able to work while you're going to school if you can because you can connect those concepts to real practice mm-hmm. right away oh this is why that works this yeah. is why we do this thing this is why we choose man's first instead of teaching the names for things or this is why we you know use differential reinforcement whatever it is um so if you can make those connections early i think it helps with uh, mastering those concepts um, and I do talk to people who aren't able to work in the field right away as they begin coursework. And it's hard for them to relate those concepts to to, to, to everyday practice to some degree.
0: It brings up an interesting thought. It makes me really think about my fieldwork experience. I'm fully aware that I would not be competent in a clinic. Like I haven't even walked inside of one since December of 2021. Um, but like the most exposure that I've had to like I've been working for ABA tech since January 2022 right like I I was learning about implementing programs and not like I was working here I was writing test questions about what I was learning about but I wasn't actually doing them um so it's just kind of an interesting thing for me to like think back on like interesting how how how's that
1: Um, And I remember what the other thing was I was going to say, which is being able to talk the talk. And if you can do that in your uh, supervisor's field work, that's a big component that will help you with your testing and things like that is being able to apply those terms on a regular basis. Um, The advantage that you have in your position is that you do work with a a whole bunch of behavior analysts who are really fluent, right? Because Mm -hmm. we've all been teaching this stuff for 15 years. And I felt the same way. I, I had a little bit of a different experience in that I had been certified as a BCABA Prior to going to grad school, Uh, I had been working in the field for a little bit. And I'd also been a a special education teacher for a few years before Mm -hmm. that. So I did have some experience working before I started my, my, my master's coursework. Um, But, you know, uh, being able to uh, be around people who are constantly thinking that way and talking that way is very helpful and teaching is a great gig because it just, increases that fluency. My understanding of this science, it changes all the time. And even in the way I teach it, there are things that I learned a certain way, but it's not the way I was taught it. Uh, And it wasn't really correct. And now I go, oh, wait a second, it's not exactly like that. So I I find that very helpful. And and that's one of the big things I talk to people and it's a good uh, point for this idea of being in that post-graduation transition phase, building your behavioral community. You gotta have your behavioral community and they could be colleagues, they could be people who are on the same level as you, they could be people who are your former mentors or supervisors or other people that you look up to, but having a network of people to go to when you're scratching your head, or when you need a, a little we call it IOA, right? Inter-observer agreement. Hey, I feel like this is wrong. What do you think? And everybody says,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, that's wrong. Oh, okay, good. But having those people that you can talk with, and and maybe it's a little bit because I'm surrounded by a lot of academics as well. But but I still have some uh, some of my friends and colleagues are actively working in the field, you know, full time, and and they they appreciate being able to have people to share the language. Especially if you work like in school settings where you have a lot of other professionals that aren't quite ingrained in our language and and our way of thinking and stuff like that. Um, it can be hard to get those opportunities, and I think that again points to fluency. Yeah. when you're really fluentish you you can make jokes about these concepts you can you're thinking all the time in terms mm-hmm. of your own verbal behavior right like you sit there and you're like why did i lose my train of thought what was i thinking about that i wasn't saying where did that go you know and that, those kinds yeah. of things when you really realize that all of that stuff is behavior and is and is accountable for with a proper analysis it just expands. You know, it's 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 not just a profession. It's really a paradigm shift. It's a way of yeah. looking at the world, and it, I think it changes your life immeasurably and 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 unchangeably. You know, once you once you learn this stuff, you can't unsee it. You know.
0: Yes. No. Totally. You bringing up community made me think about some advice that I had received from a professor during my first semester. I was really struggling with. I was working at a clinic. I was really having a hard time. I, was not enjoying anything that I was doing. i dealing with a lot of burnout and all these things that are very common in school, right? And my professor told me that building relationships while in school can be very difficult, especially at work, because you may start your role on the same level as other RBTs or whatever. And within a couple of months, you may be Uh, supervising them and all of these things. And it can just kind of create some challenging interpersonal dynamics. But if you've graduated, now there's less of that. And so now is really a great time to build your community, uh, especially if you have had kind of similar to that experience with me. Like if you've had a hard time building that community in school, that's fine. There is no time like the present. It now is maybe a better time especially if you had those challenges before
1: it takes a little fostering you know there's definitely some strategies you can take i have a couple of students who are uh, reaching out to me as they're studying for their exams and they're reaching out you know and they're not in classwork anymore but i'm not going to deny them and answer their question they ask great questions they're working really hard and i want to see them be successful and i would predict i mean they may phase off after they get their they pass and they i hope they'll send me an email saying i passed but, but I think that those people are likely to continue to reach out over the years and say, hey, I was thinking about something or here's, you know, what do you think about this? And I hope that I'm always in a position to be able to respond. I'll tell you a great place to make those connections, and, and I'll give you even uh, our listeners a, a way to do it, is, first of all, attend conferences, local yeah. Or state conferences, I would highly recommend first. ABAI is a fantastic, and APBA are fantastic conferences. They're just really large. And I think at the first conference, they would be a bit intimidating. Yes. But here's something that my wife told me to do when I first started attending conferences because she used to work in the business world. And she said, when you get somebody's business card, when you make a connection, you have a conversation at the bar or outside of a talk or wherever you are and you exchange business cards, write down what you talked about on the back of the card real quick, jot yourself a little note in real time. And it doesn't have to be on the back of the business card, obviously digital, whatever, but make yourself a note and then contact that person afterwards. And I did that. I would reach out and say, Hey, it was such a pleasure meeting you at Faba. And I really enjoyed our conversation about parent training or whatever it is, or burnout or whatever. And uh, I, I hope to see you in the future. And just that little follow-up, a name, a face, an email, can start to ignite those connections. And especially if they're more local to you and things like like that, Um, people are so darn approachable in this field as a general rule. Um, And so, and they're happy to share, you know, and usually are very generous with their time. So, um, you know, taking those steps, especially if you kind of work in a rural area, if you're a little bit isolated, um, you're not alone. And it really is kind of a small community, even though there's a lot of behavior analysts, it's still kind of a small world, you know. Uh, uh, on on a larger perspective, so you can, you can build those relationships and create that that behavioral community for sure. Yeah, so, and people and really are. can do it is on our boost group. Uh, we have a Facebook group for people studying, and so that's a one place where you could start to make some connections with people and reach out to people who are studying just like you are. So, yeah, a little plug there, right? Shameless plug. We we love it. <laughs> we
0: love to see it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's move to this next. Question, and we've been talking a lot about mastery of concepts. There is, to some extent, another component of studying for the exam, and that is kind of building these test taking skills, uh, depending on your program or how long it's been since you were in your undergrad or even high school. You know, maybe the last time you took a large exam was your SAT or your ACT, right? Like you may or may not have those test taking skills, but they are important. What, what would you say are some like differences between those two concepts, ideas?
1: It's the topography of the behavior, right? And and maybe even the function too, because, you know, when we look at mastery, we're going to be uh, evoked either by a situation, I see a scenario, I see something happen, and I say, oh, that's a motivating operation, or that's the the, the thing to do in this situation is this or that. Um, But on a multiple choice test, it's verbal stimuli, right? Mm -hmm. And then we've got to respond by selecting the best answer. Um, So there's definitely, I think there's definitely a skill set there. In my role as an instructor for Florida Tech's program, I try to embed that in our reviews as we go through the material because just one of my strengths, I've always been a good test taker uh, some way or another. I'll to start with just kind of telling you my general philosophy and then we can kind of get into some specific strategies. But my, my general philosophy about a multiple choice question is is, is playing a detective game because the answer is right in front of you and you just have to figure out which one it is. And so, one of the things I do is, uh, first of all, just remember that somebody wrote the question. Probably yeah. an old white dude. I'm, let's just say, <laughs> that's just facts, right? Okay. Yeah. Maybe it's changed now. I'd like to think it's changed now, but, but statistically, more than likely, um, that the, the exam question was written by an old white dude. So, what did they want me to think? What were they, where were they trying to get me here? What is it that they're testing? And then using your knowledge of the information to get at the, mm-hmm. at the right answer, regardless of the context. Now, specific to, studying for the BACB exam or or the the kinds of questions I think we see regularly. First thing is reading carefully, at least twice. I've been teaching with Florida Tech's program since I want to say 15 years, but it isn't quite. I've been there since 2007 part time, at least and 2009 full time. So it's close to close to 15 years. And um, one of the things that I see, one of the things I do is if I read a question too carefully, I will get it wrong, even at this stage. I mean, I think I'm probably pretty fluent in this stuff, and I will make mistakes because I missed one word. Yeah. I thought I knew what that question said, but I didn't really read the question. So you really have to take time. And I would say, you know, that two-time rule is for native English speakers. And yeah. I tell our students, hey, if, if English is your second or third or fourth language, don't be afraid to read even longer if you need to, because you really want to make sure you're you're attending to everything and not adding anything. Yeah. So we go through the question, read it carefully, look at the question, the answer choices before we start getting into selection mode. Just kind of get a feel for the, what the problem is. What am I being asked about? What am I assessed on here? Am I being asked to define something, uh, identify, discriminate between an example, non example, select a best approach or something like that? What is this question really asking me? And then we can start to settle in. Right. Um, identifying the behavior. The, the, the behaving organism whose perspective we're taking because mm-hmm. in every situation you know I'm part of your environment, you're part of my environment so we need to make sure we're analyzing the right behavior. We want to identify the you know the target behaviors, responses we want to look at any relevant variables, consequences, antecedents try to classify them as you're going through okay I know I'm in a positive reinforcement paradigm or a negative mm-hmm. punishment paradigm. Here's how the relevant antecedents may you know attack in and then and then I start going through the answer choices. One of the things I always try to do, I call it playing a 50-50, which is a little nod back to who wants to be a millionaire when you could call somebody and they just take away half their – or I guess it was just a choice. They would take away two of the answers if you had one of those assists left, right? Play the 50-50. Eliminate answers you know are wrong and can justify yeah. why it's wrong. I know this one's not right because that just applies to something different so that you really narrow it down. You can make notes on the certification exam, right, so that you can do that with a whiteboard or whatever. Yeah. Um, but just sort of diagramming as you go through – And then, you know, personally, I liked it. Once I've made my selection, I don't want to go back and change it. I think there's a stage where you start to get into overthinking. Well, what about this? What about that? Well, that's where a reread is good. Well, did it say that? Or am I thinking that? Right. Right. but moving on now, I have to put a disclaimer with that because I had a, a lovely colleague who reached out to me a long time ago and said, you know, the research doesn't support that, Corey. The research shows that you're just as likely to change your right answer to a wrong one as you are to change a wrong one to a right one. But we only remember the ones that, oh, I had that answer the other way and I changed it, <laughs> right? So there's a bias there. But that being said, I think there's something for having a process, following <laughs> that process, and then moving on. Step away right. from the question or flag it if you're really not sure and you start questioning yourself. Sometimes you may come to another question if you answer questions later that makes you go, oh, wait a second. If that's true, especially when it's content, like a like a class test, right? You might go, right. oh, wait, that's right. This is the answer to this one, which means the other one can't be that. And then I would go back and change it. But I think you have to be uh, careful about overthinking it. So the good news is you can practice these things and that's where mock exams and and other products that that allow you to get a a practice on those types of questions that are at that level um, can be helpful because you can kind of work at that. Another aspect, uh, you know, I want to throw in there when we talk about test uh, strategies is is managing your respondent process. Um, A lot of individuals experience test anxiety Yes. And that's something else that you want to practice and, and dealing with. Um, and I think the first thing that we have an advantage of uh, with uh, as students of behavior analysis is understanding what's happening. Why do I feel this yeah. way when I start thinking about the BACB exam? Yeah. I have an increase in heart rate. I start perspiring more. I could actually feel a little sick, which means my blood pressure is dropping, right? This is mm-hmm. an activation syndrome we've learned about, right? It's just responding. It's 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 our lizard brain, if you will, <laughs> yeah. saying, Fight or flight. Hey, there's danger. Get ready. Right. Which is a lovely evolutionary response if the danger were physical. But unfortunately, it's just letters on a screen. It's symbols. You know what I mean? Right. I right. I'm not going to physically be harmed by the B A C B exam. Right. I don't think right. unless somehow the keyboard gives you a splinter. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. And so it is, you know, you're in a heightened state because it's fear, right? Basically and stress and all that stuff. Good. But, but the way that your body responds to it, isn't going to help you because all that does is actually suppress decision-making and thinking and it enhances physical activity, right? Your blood is pumping to your extremities, which would be great if you had to fight a bear or run, you know, but but neither of those are an appropriate response in this situation. So managing that and saying, Mm -hmm. thanks brain, I got this. I find taking deep breaths helps me control my physiology in some way, that doesn't work for everybody. But that's right. really the goal is to say, hey, this this needs to pass and I need to wreck and let my body kind of catch up with the fact that threat is not physical. Yeah, um, And that's something else that students can practice. So if you're taking yes. a mock exam and you're a test anxiety person, what are you going to do beforehand? Do you do some visualization? Do you do mm-hmm. some calm down strategies? Those kinds of things. I tell our students in our program, practice those on a weekly basis. If you're still in your courses, every time you sit down for an exam, practice those strategies, Make, pretend like it's the big thing. Take your exams in a spot where it's going to simulate the the receiving environment, right? We've learned about planning for natural contingencies and all these strategies to promote generalization. Well, if you're taking your final exams or your mock exams on your bed in your pajamas, are you setting yourself up for success when you have to go to a test center and sit at a desk and a table in a strange environment? Obviously, you can't take every mock exam in in a weird environment. But you could start by sitting at a table and and and, you know and and kind of simulating some of those things so that you're practicing in a way that that makes sense down the road
0: yeah and I mean there there are other things you can do too like I know a lot of people start to feel anxiety related to oh my time is running out so you know start timing your your mock exams and in the back of your head you're gonna know nothing's gonna happen if I go over time on this exam but i'm prepping myself for when i am timed the exam is timed right
1: yes but yeah. it's a long time limit. I think it's like three hours or four hours, something like that. Okay. Yeah, one of the things I think I've always said to myself sitting down, I think it's a good point, is when you when you actually sit down to take a real exam, whether it's a final exam, a, a final program exam, a, the BACB certification exam, there's nothing you're going to do at that moment to prepare. You either know it right. or you don't, right? And yeah. if you don't and you fail, then uh, you know, I, I call it like playing the worst case scenario. When people start getting worked up over stuff, it's, well, let's play the worst case scenario. What happens if if you fail? well mm-hmm. i would re- really be upset yeah and i'll be disappointed in myself yeah and then what are you going to do well i guess i would sign up to take it again and start studying yeah okay so you're going to take it again right. you know? and that, so we'll deal with that how bad is that i guess that's not so bad i know some people who took it more than t- two times okay so maybe you have to take it two times. Maybe you have to take it five times, but if that's not the end of the world, you know? So, uh, you know, I think playing the worst case scenario sometimes can make you feel a little bit better about it and say, hey, I'm just going to do this, you know? And when I get yeah. what I get in that moment, you know, the worry doesn't help you. And and you should probably try to eliminate prior to that. If you're building yourself up every time you're studying, worrying about passing the test, then you're just teaching yourself to be anxious. So yeah. you got to break that cycle somehow, right? Yeah. And just get back to... What's the goal here? The goal is to demonstrate competency. Do you have it? let's let's work on that. you
0: know yeah. And I would say on that note of failing the first time, it may be helpful to get outside of the exam prep groups because the narrative on those groups when people are talking about multiple test taking, they tend to be very anxious and scared and worried which is very valid and absolutely those are feelings that I would also have. And, you know, you should have a place where you feel safe talking about that. However, when I have been, I follow a lot of behavior analytic Instagram accounts, just as my personal example, I'm sure they're also not on Instagram, but I've seen a lot of more rational, more normalizing conversations around being a two-time test taker or three-time test taker. And it may be helpful to step outside of those groups and see other people who have had to take the exam multiple times and recognize that they're okay and you will be too.
1: It's a lot of different skill sets. That are out there that all kind of come together to be a, a really successful professional, right? And so, even at this stage, you know, um, you might be really good at, at writing research papers and a terrible test taker. You know, you might be really good at building rapport with students and terrible at talking to parents, or vice versa. I've learned people yeah. that have, really have a hard time playing and being Same. fun. are right. Yeah. So, <laughs> I know people like that. So, you know, and they have other strengths. We all have our strengths and weaknesses. Um, and nobody's going to be the master of everything in yeah. terms of the task list, right? Uh, so, right. so the same thing goes with, with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a very good test taker, so I, it wasn't a concern for me. Other people really struggle with it. So I, I definitely believe that there are people out there who, who know their stuff, but they aren't able to demonstrate it in the moment in that way. And that can, yeah. that can be certainly frustrating. It is a hurdle that has to be overcome. Right. Um, but, but it's not, it's not insurmountable, um, and at the same time, there are people who are going to pass that test right away who really aren't competent in other areas and will need to develop those skills along the way. And I think that's another thing to remember is that that's, that credential is a entry point. Yes. It's the it's the it's what we have decided is the bare minimum that everybody needs to know in order to hopefully not kill somebody when you start working independently, right? it's right. that's a weird way to say it, but that's really what it comes down yeah. to. Yeah, it's the launching point. It's not, well, now I have my BCBA, I know everything there is to know about ABI, I'm the expert now. And then most people I know would be very hesitant to call themselves experts, yeah. right? But I would say if you're a person in the room who knows the most about a topic then you're an expert, right? In some mm-hmm. rooms I would I would definitely feel comfortable calling myself an expert. In other rooms not so much. <laughs> you know, yeah. Right, really right. you know. So, you know, but so I think it just takes, you know, having that perspective takes down your stress level a little bit. You know, hey, if you didn't pass this time, then you're still working on that mastery level. I will say this, though. I think it's important to, if you're a person who has already taken the exam and hasn't been successful or has taken it repeatedly and been successful, I, I think changing what you're doing to prepare is an important thing. And I do see a bit of emphasis, it seems like, in the test prep, you know, circles, those groups and, 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 and where students are talking to each other. Of of focusing on those kinds of activities that maybe aren't, aren't really the acquisition stage, and that's my concern. Is there's a difference between that acquisition and that fluency building or repetition for maintenance and generalization, those kinds of things. Yeah. And it, you know, uh, so if there are some some people I've interacted with, or seen you know their their results and said, you know, I think you didn't learn it the first time, and it might be time to go take some additional coursework, maybe piece mm-hmm. them together some things or something like that. And every program's different, you know, and 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 we know that there are some programs out there. Their students are not successful on a large scale and in, in passing the exam. Um, that doesn't mean they're not learning good things. It's just whatever it is it isn't preparing them for that. So that's that's a component as well. Sometimes you got to say, well, I'm not in the reviewing phase, I'm in the learning phase, and I need to go back to the basics a little bit. so if you if you're doing the kind of the same thing repeatedly and you're not seeing success, it's a good, it's a good time to change, you know, some things. And that's where data collection comes in, right? You know, yeah. the, the BACB exam is one data point, but there are other ways to get some data to say, yeah, what I'm doing isn't resulting, it's not producing the results I want, you know.
0: Right. So can we get a little bit more specific about kind of what those activities are? So I think almost everybody knows that you can take mock exams, but that is, not at all the only way that you can study for this exam. So what are some of these other things that students could do or if they, if you're needing to change it up? What are some things that we can do.
1: So, so the mock exam is definitely going to help students, um, you know, kind of test their skills against a, an exam, right? It's, it's yeah. a, sort of a, the idea is a simulation. Uh, most of them will give you some level of feedback by content area, which gives you a sense of where you may be struggling because there's, you know, uh, several different content areas across the exam and they're all kind of weighted a little bit differently in the number of questions. Um, so that kind of helps in your, if you do need to go back and review or learn for the first time, some of those, some of those tasks, so that's definitely one, one activity. Uh, another one would just be sort of building that fluency or, mm-hmm. or mastery through guided practice. Yeah, and there are products out there that that have a lot of items that are built for acquisition and, and building mm-hmm. fluency over time that, that kind of teach the concept through a couple of different kinds of activities. Um, certainly just reviewing notes, um, yeah. rereading through your readings and things like that. For me, you know, for my my kind of measure of mastery and competency was always, can I explain it to somebody else? You know, when I was going yeah. through school, if it was a concept, can I can I tell you what positive reinforcement is without looking at my notes? Can I tell you right. the steps of BST without looking at my notes? Do I feel comfortable when somebody comes to me with a problem, of, of coming up with a, a, a solution that makes sense? You know, and then I can talk, you know, bounce that idea off my supervisor and see what that sounds like, you know, mm-hmm. um, to get some feedback maybe before we. Because implementing it, obviously, would be the best way, right? We mm-hmm. try something and it works or it doesn't work. But you may not, you know, the client's at then. So maybe you're just, you're pitching an, a role play idea or whatever, you know. Hey, what if we did this? How does that sound? You know, th- those are, the, for me, are, are big deal. So that goes back to, again, talking the talk. Is, yeah. You know, you got to be able to apply these concepts constantly, constantly be looking at the world as a behavior analyst. I think when you're meshed like that in it, um, yeah. you're living it, I think there's there, it helps, right? As opposed to just... Well, now I got to think about ABA terms. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. It's all the time. We're just looking at the world through this behavior lens. So those are, I'm trying to think if there's other things. Yeah, talking the talk and just kind of analyzing things on a regular basis. Practice, practice, practice in different forms. And then ultimately, you know, like a mock exam situation where you can kind of uh, assess your skills. And in some cases, it may just be. Relearning, you know, going Mm -hmm. and taking another course, or you know, RBT courses can maybe be nice because they teach a lot of the fundamentals, and it's like it's designed as a forty-hour course. Mm -hmm. May not be to the level that some folks need, but it is a lot of the early stuff that maybe we start to forget and get away from as we move up through our work, you know. So maybe even signing up for a basics like that to say, oh yeah, 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 let me get back into what socially mediated negative reinforcement really means and what does it look like and what are they talking about when they say that so that we can Mm -hmm. then you know really feel comfortable with that terminology
0: yeah and i would add you know once you really do start to get very comfortable with that terminology once you start to be able to explain those things i find it really helpful to look for examples in everyday life i live with somebody and What kind of schedule of reinforcement am I give, like, is it in place when sometimes they come home from work and I'm still working and sometimes they come home from work and I'm not working and are, are there SDs to let them know what, you know, and what kind of, you know, like finding those kinds of things. And I think that's really useful, maybe not so much for like, you're not going to necessarily find a test question that's asking about those exact examples, but I think it's really useful.
1: It's connecting with it though. Yeah, it is yeah. connecting with it and I've just seeing it that way all the time. And and writing examples, even, you know, one of the things yeah. I always tell students is if they're struggling, I said, well, I need you to um, start, this is something Ed Blakely used to say is engage in topography, start behaving and let's yeah. see what you got, you know? So sometimes people say, well, I'm really struggling with this. Well, give me an example of it, give mm-hmm. me an example of it, compare yeah. it to something else or contrast it with something else. Tell me what's going on there. And, and let's see how you do with that. So, you know, generating examples can be helpful as well. And that's again, where a community can be helpful. You know, going back again, shameless plug, our, our <laughs> Bruce Facebook group, uh, we're, we're trying to throw a lot of uh, examples up there and, and different ways for students to engage with the material. And I, we, I think we all, will it be the first to admit that it's not test level. We have our, our purchase products for that, but in those those free resources that we're trying to just generate thinking about behavior and, and, and helping people think about the uh, task list in, in different ways. Ways. But but I'd love to see more students coming up with examples. Hey, here mm-hmm. you know while we're on a content area, hey, let's see your examples of this. Come up with something, you know, talk about how you're applying this to your life, um, whatever it may be. You know, if you if you've got yourself on a self-management plan to study for the VACB exam, let's hear about that and what are those principles are playing. How's that work? Um, that's something I definitely did a lot of in in supervision. I don't know all supervisors do this, but every time my supervisees or trainees would come up with a good solution, I would say. That's great. Now tell me why you think that will work. Explain that to me. I need you to tell me, well, by, by reducing the work when they come in in the morning, it creates a, an abolishing operation for escape. We're not mm-hmm. going to push them so hard when they come in because we know sometimes they're grumpy from the car rides. So we're easing them into it. And that's an EO, an AO for escape. And that means it's going to abate escape, maintain behavior. And I say, now you get it. Now you can understand. Because sometimes people come up with a good solutions, but they can't you know, express why it's the right solution. And that's really, I think, when you get to that level, you know, when I say talk on the talk, that's what I mean. You know, being yeah. able to clarify why that procedure works so that's something you know again if you're working you could be doing this constantly but you've got to be talking the talk and i, yeah. I think supervisors have a duty to push that a little bit more mm-hmm. yes we we constantly talk about you know it, uh, translating the covenant uh to quote richard fox and and you know and being able to express our our language in, in ways that are accessible to our you know consumers our, our parents our teachers and all that. Yeah, but at the same time when you're developing professionals they need to develop that language and I need to be comfortable switching back and forth. So pushing that a little bit is, is, can be helpful as well.
0: Yeah. And just a thought that I had while you were talking about that, if you don't have a supervisor who is able or willing or whatever to push you in those ways, I was thinking that what you were describing, your like what, how you were describing your students uh, coming up with those examples and justifying them, they're thinking it's a lot like how I write question feedback. So again, another plug, if you go onto our Facebook group, we provide a lot of very complex, in-depth, that's the word, in-depth feedback for every question that we post. And I write most of the feedback for those questions. And sometimes I need to like refresh myself on the terms. And if I'm writing why something is incorrect, I'm like, oh, I, I don't know if I'm totally solid on this, need to go. Make sure. Um, so, if you, if you need a model, you can go look at our Facebook group. But I think doing something like that and being very in depth about this is why this is not why that that would be a really good way to
2: practice.
1: Yeah, and it definitely uh, sharpens your skills as a behavioral Right again, uh, working in, in 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 the academic side of things, like writing items, is a tough skill. It's a, it's a really tough skill. Uh, and it definitely takes some honing over time and some feedback. I hope we've been gracious to you with that as well. You know, sometimes I see them like, oh, we, we, we're we missing some detail here. But it's only because I've learned that way over time that yeah. you've got to have a, a specific things in there for it to be a good question. I see items all the time. I go, yeah, this is not, this is this question is not going to prepare you for certification um, mm-hmm. because uh, it's it's missing some things that we would need in her to be able to say you know, this or that. Uh, we had a good example of that just recently with a, an example of extinction, where yeah. it said that the person kept doing the thing, but it didn't say they increased it. So really, maybe it was an extinction burst, given the details. I had one last night where I was trying to give an example of, uh, of automatic uh, reinforcement regarding popping a pimple gross but um but the way i wrote the question it didn't really it, it leaned the student towards the automatic positive like the sight of the stuff that comes out maybe mm-hmm. it was reinforcing it, not just the relief i'm like yeah it's not really in the item but if you've ever had a pimple you know you're trying to get rid of it right it's <laughs> pressure, get, it's yeah pain, it's annoying right yeah even though that's not it doesn't really go away when you mess with it uh, right away <laughs> anyway i think there's still i think it's a negative reinforcement but looking at the the item i had written i had to give students the benefit of the doubt say yeah well i didn't write that very well it could be better. Um, and I we do that not only with our items, but in our courses as well. We're constantly revising things based on student feedback. You know, and with our um, boost products, we are doing item analyses and looking at the performance of those items to make sure that they're they're strong. Uh, because you want good questions, you got to start with good material, and that requires it's it's tricky. And that's why the the reading of it is tricky because there are a lot of details that you need to attend to, and there's usually some information that's irrelevant, um, shouldn't be, but but often there is. And so it's knowing when okay that part it doesn't matter here. That's a trick, <laughs> you know. I, I just need to focus on this part, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially with ethics questions those are oh, yeah. my favorite to write but they're also very difficult to write with the uh...
1: yeah and, and you know i don't know what the what the rule would be for a perfectly written question but i will say that it seems to me in my experience that with ethics questions there's always one answer choice that's too extreme
2: mm-hmm. and
1: there's always one that just isn't enough So if you're looking at an ethics scenario and and the one solution is report them to the BACB immediately, you know, or or report them to be fired. Like, well, maybe not because, you know, maybe you're just supposed to talk to them first about it, try to resolve it yourself. Um, And the other thing would be, well, it's not my business. Let it go. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not the right solution either. We have, we have responsibility to each other, but those are tricky because it's what's, what's the best course of action. Right. But, but that being said, even though people will describe ethics as gray area sometimes, the code is in black and white. You know, mm-hmm. our values are are pretty, you know, clearly, uh, you know, written. So w- we can still come to agreement on what the right course of action should look like. You know, in most cases. Yeah. And it's multiple choice, so it's going to again, what's the what's the best answer here? If I don't like any of the choices, which one was the author thinking was the right answer at the end of the day? Right, right is really the answer, right?
0: Yeah. So. Do you have more that you want to say on supervised field work, or do you, do you feel like we covered that question earlier?
1: we hit that a bit you know I again I think if you can use it to really you know apply the concepts and apply the practice understand how things work that it's a big part of preparing for the for the exam even maybe even bigger but I think I think we did a pretty good job of of touching on that
0: okay awesome so then let's just go to our last question here unless we come up with other things we want to cover what is boost
1: So Boost is our uh, ABA Technologies line of test prep products, and there's a couple of different things that we have there, and we're developing more as we as we yes. go. We're really excited I'll about wait. this. Yeah, we're really excited about this product line. Um, but the first component of Boost, I would say, would probably just be our mock exam, and that's just an mm-hmm. opportunity to take a 175-question exam that tries to prepare you for the BACB certification exam. We uh, write it in a similar a format, not I wanna say format to the BACB exam, but the BACB actually tells you uh, if you go on the exam information, it will tell you exactly how many questions in each content area there are right. on that exam. And so we've we've kind of mapped it out that way. And so that, that it is we we hope it's a it's a good approximation mm-hmm. of, of the content that will be covered. No organization is going to guarantee you that this is like the BACB exam or certification exam, and they shouldn't be saying that. We won't say that, but um, but we're writing questions that should prepare students and give them an accurate sense of where they stand. Um, the other thing is to just to look at uh, the the kind of the score when you're taking those exams, mm-hmm. and knowing that the past criteria for the BACB certification exam is 77 percent. So you definitely want to be scoring above eighty percent on on your uh, on mock exams or things like that to be comfortable, maybe even higher. Um, and you will see some variance, and don't freak out about that. But you know, you kind of want to know where your mean is, and so you know you're in a comfortable level, or I'd really like to increase it before I go sit the real exam. Um, is it got the ACB? Is
0: that really seventy-seven percent? I thought it was seventy-seven
1: percent is the required. Uh, yeah, and that is buried somewhere in it. Te- in a newsletter you kind of mm-hmm. have to go back a little bit into the newsletter when they set the standards every so often they have a, a panel of experts uh, well you know a certificate uh, you know bacb's bcba's mm-hmm. rather uh, subject matter experts who say hey here's the here's how how well you should have to do on this exam to get into the profession yeah um, and it's changed over years, but usually around that range i think it's usually around 75 percent. so now it's it's currently at 77 percent um so mm-hmm. that's a good like you know marker and that's why we tell students hey 80% or better 80%, if you're doing 80% yeah. consistently, you should be comfortable. So we have the mock exam. We also have a product called Mock 10, which uh, it, again has a mock exam, but then the opportunity to go through sets of questions for each content area. And there are multiple sets of 10 questions for each mock exam, that's where the 10 comes in. Uh, and so that's nice because you get a way to kind of assess yourself pre-practice, uh, uh, do, do a mock exam, do some practice opportunities where you're going to get that feedback. And again, see why the right answer is right, the wrong answer is wrong. Get a little practice in each area. Beef up on the areas you might be struggling with. Uh, and then there's a, a, another mock exam at the end, um, which is a nice little model. Pre-test, mm-hmm. practice some, um, post-test. Um, and that
0: one actually has two different exams, but one of them you take twice. So one of them is your pretest; You take it again as your post-test. And then there's a separate exam where it's that same breakdown that you had talked about, how, where it right. maps right. onto the BACBs, uh, like map, whatever. Uh, but it's completely new questions. So it's like a generalization.
1: That's right. So that's right. So there's actually you get three tests. Well, it's not really right. three tests. It's two tests, you, but three options, right? Yeah. So pre-test, post-test on the same test. And you're right. I totally forgot about that generalization exam, right? So then you yeah. got that. Uh, and then we now have a, a bundle where you can actually uh, save a little bit if you do all mm-hmm. uh, uh, both those products together. Yes. So that would actually give you four tests, well, four. three tests, but four, right? Because you yes. do a pre-test, <laughs> you do the post-test, you do generalization, and then you'd have this whole other mock exam to take. Yes. Um, and that's a good deal and a lot of practice. Uh, the product that we've got in the works that we're working on is, uh, and this won't roll out this year, but maybe next year early, we have a, an automated guided review. And, and what that the product will include that we don't have currently in our approach uh, or on our products is the teaching component. And we mm-hmm. do find a lot of students um, still do need to learn this stuff either the first time or relearn it to somebody you or know, build mastery. And so we're working on a, on a product where students will be able to take a pre-test, see how they're doing and then access instruction relevant to yeah. those areas and build that practice over time before usually attempting another mock exam at the end or something like that. So we're excited about that product. And then there are lots of free stuff that we try again mm-hmm. to try to you know uh, give to our students and, and and our followers and all that. So uh, we've got some reference sheets. We call them easy mm-hmm. sheets. Uh, those are available for download. Um, yeah. If you if you give us your email, you know, so we can keep you up to date <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, we've and got those that. ones. Got...
0: Sorry, I keep interrupting you. I apologize. Oh, okay. But with those easy sheets, you they they're available for a limited time for free, or you can get all of them at once with purchase of Mach 10. Oh, okay. So if you want all of them, buy Mach 10.
1: Buy them in a pack. Oh, they're in Mach 10, that's right, they're in there. That's yeah. right, that's right. And then we've got, so the, the easy sheets, the, the test, a tracker. We've got a tracker that kind of tells you where each content is covered in the Cooper, Heron, and Hewitt textbook, which yeah. is a source that a lot of students use. So we we've do. got that. Oh, we just came up with and some the, tabs that helps you yeah. tab, them. those are really cool looking. Uh, and then we're we're going to be, I'm, I'm working right now, actually, on a SAFMED deck, a, a flashcard deck specific to, um, to just review. We've got, uh, uh, SAFMEDs are a big part of our uh, program. And I know that some of our test prep uh, students have been purchasing some of those along the way, the ones that go with our courses. But we're going to have a deck that's just kind of dedicated to the boost line. Uh, that'll yeah. be uh, kind of everything that you need to have uh, in one spot. So we're working right. on that and that'll roll out later this year.
0: Right. Cause I remember I bought one of the decks. I'm not sure which one um, we have six, I think. And they're kind of like all over the place. Like I remember the one that I had bought had like concepts and principles stuff and ethics code things, but I had bought it at like the very end of the fourth edition. And so I had like the last edition of the ethics code. And so i like, kind of get rid of those cards and I'm sure. If you bought it today, that would not be a problem. But I had
1: that issue. No, no, no. Well, but... some of them are, um, they're kind of specific to the courses as I was digging through them. Um, they make sense if you're taking a class, but if you were not in the class, they'd be a little bit hard to follow. You know, they're, in some mm-hmm. cases, they're like, this is there are different features of things so it might not just be the definition it might be how how do we use this or how you know so some of those i'm trying to eliminate as i go through that filtering process to make sure that our you know somebody who's who maybe went to a different program and just wants mm-hmm. our test prep products has a set that's functional for them so that's there's some consideration in doing that but yeah a lot of a lot of products there again all of this is designed to help students Boost their confidence, you know. Boost their test score, but I mean, it's not like you're looking for a number. There's just pass or fail, right? But, right. but you know, again, uh, boosting their confidence and boosting their likelihood of success once they finish coursework, you know, because we know that people are are putting their energies into that. You know, once they finish their coursework, they're a little stressed about the exam, so we want to do everything we can to help them, and then uh, you know, hopefully, be uh, part of our ABA Tech family. Uh, and our Boost Family for Life, you know, uh, we're yeah. a company that provides a lot of education and, and resources to behavior analysts. So we hope that, um, you know, when people see what it is we do and how we do it, they'll they'll want to become lifelong learners with us and, and get their CEs with us and, and meet us at conferences and have dinner with us and all that fun stuff, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I mean, I, I can attest that ABA Tech is like family. Uh, I mean, you can too, because you've been here longer than me, but- As a, as a newer member of the family, I do feel like it's a family and you don't have to, there's no waiting period. There's no will like you after
1: this amount well, of time welcome with a hug, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so. You know, it is, it is a really cool place to work. Um, we got a lot of really smart people and, and who are care, you know, a lot of dedicated people. And, uh, and then one of the nice things I think about our company and the way we work is we, we get highly qualified people and then, yeah. and then we get out of their way you know, let them let do what they do best. Um, and I think uh, you've definitely uh, been a, a, an example of that because um, you, you've come a, a long way in a very short time uh, with ABA Tech and I appreciate all the efforts and all the wonderful things that you're doing here mm-hmm. related to social media, related <laughs> to test prep and all that stuff. So, um, yeah. Oh.
0: <laughs> I, uh, I I don't know if I would call myself that expert, but um, I, I do enjoy the ability I've had to kind of learn from different places and then implement here. So yeah. been a fun time.
1: Try some stuff, right? And see yeah. what happens. And know yeah, going back to that that's kind of what supervised field work is and becoming a behavior analysis a little bit, you know, it's trying some stuff and seeing what happens. You know, we take data, we have some right. guidelines, <laughs> yes. but we're just trying to solve problems. You know, we're trying to help people. Uh, and and that's all there is to it is, well, what if we did this? You know, And so our approach is the same way with, with test prep is, hey, well, what if we gave students this? What if they mm-hmm. had this product to do? What if we did this? And let's see what happens. And let's co- collect some data and see how it does, you know, so. Yes. It's a learning process for us as well.
0: If only you could see, maybe, maybe that'd be a fun thing to share in our Facebook group, all of the graphs that we compile of here's how we can analyze students learning and identify how well we are hopefully helping and let's look at it and let's see what we can do next. Uh, it's really cool.
1: You know, I, I I like that, and also just some kind of the stuff that goes into developing these products so people can appreciate it. Um, there there are sometimes differences in in what you get and and quality, and and you know I think that one of the things that ABA Technologies brings brings to the table is that wealth of expertise. You know, we've got a, a team of, of different people who've been at this for a long time, understand the requirements, uh, you know, uh, how we test our history, the concepts, the principles, you know, all that stuff. And, and it goes in and I think it shows an quality of our product. Our reputation for the the courses that, uh, that we've, you know, helped develop for uh, Florida Tech uh, is, is certainly notwithstanding. And, and, I, and I hope that people will uh, see that in our other products as well that there yeah. really is a difference at APA tech
0: yes definitely all right well do you have anything else that you wanted to cover
1: i don't think so i hope this has been uh, informative for folks uh, that are uh, prepping for the exam and uh, we just want to let you know that we're with you until you do um so reach out and let us know how we can help you
0: yeah um and if you have other ideas for podcast episodes we would love to hear it we'll have our email addresses in the description box. And if you have ideas or questions or thoughts, or I don't know, angry re- reviews, hopefully you don't have those, but if you want to send them over, go for it. So.
1: As I say at the end of my classes, any compliments, concerns, criticisms, anything at all, right? All the C's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to Boost You. Be sure to come back next week for another episode of Offerings Innovations and come back next month for another episode of Boost You.